Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we're able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hey there, my Bible study friends. I am so glad you joined me today as we transition back into the book of Genesis together. However, before we dive into our first scripture reading today, let's backtrack a bit to where we have been already in the book of Genesis and then move ahead. Let's just dive right in by listening to some excerpts from a couple resources I found helpful in framing what we've studied so far in the book. First up, the Bible Recap Podcast, Day 16, Tara Lee Cobble says, Okay, we're back to Genesis now, Bible readers. When we were last here, before we dropped in on Job, a man named Abram had been born through the bloodline of Adam and Noah, via Noah's son Shem. According to the timeline Genesis marks out, Abram was born almost 2,000 years after Adam, but only about 300 years after the flood. Now let's move on to the second resource, a visual theology guide to the Bible, which offers this overview. Even though we are only 11 chapters into the Bible, the need for a Savior is clear. Through Noah and the ark, it appeared that God was bringing a fresh beginning to the earth. But because the flood failed to remove the stain of sin from humanity, history repeats itself, and humanity continues in rebellion against the Word of God. The offspring promised to Adam and Eve is yet to come, and the serpent's sin is yet to be bruised. A greater Savior than Noah is needed, one who is without sin, one who preserves humanity from God's wrath, and one who is able to take away the stain of sin. So how will God bring this offspring and this Savior? The story continues with the call of Abram, a distant descendant of Shem, Noah's son. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1-3 through 3. Holding to God's promise of land, offspring, and blessing, Abram goes out from his hometown in obedience to God. Since Abraham has no son, he wonders how God is going to make a great nation out of him. God tells this childless man to look at the stars of heaven and then promises him, So shall your offspring be, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Abraham believes God's promise that he would bring the promised offspring, and we learn that God credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. A few thousand years later, the Apostle Paul tells us that this wasn't just written to inform us of God's promise to Abraham, the promise of his son Isaac. It was foreshadowing for us the way in which we would be counted righteous. Like Abraham, if we believe in the promised offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ, we will also have righteousness credited to us. Romans chapter 4, verses 24 through 25. Okay, so with all that big picture story overview of sorts in mind, let's begin our reading of Genesis chapter 12, from the New Living Translation, which begins, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. 
When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country, with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. At that same time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, let's kill him, and then we can have her. So please tell them that you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country, along with his wife and all his possessions. Let's just get right into our studies of this chapter today, shall we? The Spoken Gospel Instructs So far in Genesis, we've seen the promise God made about one of Eve's offspring continue to hold true in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Through Cain murdering Abel, through flooding the whole earth, through the blessing and the cursing of Noah's children, and through the Tower of Babel, God has kept a people for himself. And now we get to one of the most important of Eve's children, a man named Abram, who will later be renamed Abraham. God called Abram out of his land, people, and family in order to be a special and new people group unto him. And God makes a three-part promise to Abram. First, God will make Abram into a great nation. He will have so many children that counting them would be like trying to count all the stars in the sky. This fulfills God's original purpose for Adam and Eve in the garden, that they will be fruitful and multiply, as found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Second, God will bless Abram. More than that, all nations will be blessed through Abram and his children. This is the fulfillment of Adam and Eve's original purpose in the world. They were supposed to fill the world with God's image, but the world had been filled with man's image instead. But through Abram, God will pick up where they left off. Third and last, God promises to give Abram and his children the land of Canaan. This is what you might have heard called the promised land. In summary, God promised to make Abram into a great nation that would bless the world and live in Canaan. Oh, the many promises of God to Abram. How amazing to consider, especially as we read this about these moments in Acts chapter 7, verse 2. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Did you catch that, my friends? The God of glory appeared to Abram. Honestly, I have no idea what that even means, nor can I even imagine what form God took in these moments with Abram. But the idea the God of glory appeared to him in whatever way leaves me speechless. Can you even imagine it? Okay, friends, so let's continue on by considering both Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12 together. They have been back to back in our Bibles for our entire lives, right? (laughs) I mean, really, I've read their stories one after another more times than I can count. But as I read today, 
something struck me. In Genesis 11, we read about people who set out to build a tower to heaven, but nowhere do we see that this building plan was from God. In fact, verse 4 clearly states that mankind desired to make a name for themselves. Genesis chapter 12 stands in sharp contrast. In Genesis 12:1, we read that the Lord said to Abram to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Abram did not leave his home in Ur because he wanted to. In fact, Scripture will later tell us in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, that at the time of the call, Abram was not even a follower of God. Clearly, this plan to leave was not a scheme dreamed up by Abram, but from God alone. Abram was obedient, and he was blessed. But even more than that, all his descendants were blessed. This blessing upon Abram and his descendants came because it was God's plan, not Abram's. So let's ask ourselves, whose name do we want to make great? Let's not be like the people who built the Tower of Babel, striving to make a name for themselves. Choose instead to follow God's instruction for our lives and make His name great. And continuing with that thought, listen into this perspective about chapter 12, verse 1 in verse 5's Genesis study. Abram had to walk away from what was familiar, his family, his friends, and his comfort zone, in order to gain the blessings of the Lord. God had promised to bless Abram's descendants and give them the land of Canaan if he was obedient. But I bet Abram's understanding of becoming a great nation and being blessed was much smaller than God's amazing vision, especially when Abram was asked to give up so much on the front end. The same is true for our lives as well. Our thoughts about how God wants to use us are much too small. I really think that's why we sometimes hesitate to leave our old ways behind, even when we know God is calling us to something greater. If we could taste the delights that await us in the promised land, we'd leave everything behind without hesitation. And yet God doesn't work that way. We must choose to leave first. We must see by faith the rewards ahead and then move toward them. As you think about your comfort zone today, what is one thing God has been calling you to leave behind in obedience to Him? Check your answer with these other questions. Does it line up with Scripture? Would it cause me to become more like Christ in my thoughts and actions? And do I have peace in my heart about this when I pray? Remember what we learned from Abram. What God calls you to leave will pale in comparison to His blessing ahead. Let's listen to that last statement one more time. Remember what we learn from Abram. What God calls you to leave will pale in comparison to his blessing ahead. So, so important to remember for sure. Now, before we move on to the next chapter in our study, I feel it's important for us to lean into God's promises to Abram here. Why, you may ask? Well, actually, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) This chapter, chapter 12 in the book of Genesis, is often called the hinge story because it links the two parts of the book of Genesis together. Most specifically, These promises found in verses 1 through 3. With that in mind, listen to a few perspectives I found that I want to share with you for deeper understanding before we move on. The She Reads Truth Bible's Faith in the Promise Maker devotional begins. We make promises all the time. We make big promises like, I promise to love, honor, and obey as long as we both shall live. And smaller promises like, I promise to not eat your leftover tortellini in the fridge. We make false promises. I have read the terms and conditions and we make casual promises. I'll be right back. Promises are tools we use to navigate life together. However, we aren't always reliable in keeping these promises. This is true for all of us in our own way. We're flesh and blood human, and the promises we willingly make are made of weakness. But when God makes a promise, He keeps it. In fact, God keeps both sides of His promises. When God promised to bless all the nations of the earth through Abram, He was so convinced God would make good on His word that He left behind His home his family, and his nation to follow the Lord. What convinced Abram? In a world of promise breakers, what made him so certain? 
Scripture tells us it was his faith. By faith he went out, although he did not know where he was going, clinging only to the promises God had given him, as found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. Abram certainly faced times of questioning, times when he doubted God would fulfill his promise, or at least suspected God might need a little help, as found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. But Abram's lack of faith couldn't and didn't thwart God's purposes. No matter how much or how little we believe God's promises, they are still true. When we project our own human weakness and unbelief onto God's promises to us, we miss out on experiencing His peace, the peace that allows us to follow Him into unknown territory. Abram didn't see the deliverance of his children, the inheritance of the promised land, or the Messiah coming to redeem the sins of the world. He died a man of faith, only seeing these promises from a distance, trusting God would fulfill each one to the fullest extent. Jesus Christ is both the promise-making and promise-keeping God of Abraham. Before he went to the cross, Jesus declared that he is the God who promised to bless every nation through Abraham, and he himself is also the fulfillment of that promise. John chapter 8, verses 30-59. through 59. Christ redeems sinners from sin and death and provides a way back to the Father. John chapter 3, verse 17. Every one of God's promises are made perfect in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the true promised land, and He is the realization of our every need, hope, and desire. His promises are true. The Jesus Bible devotional titled, Ongoing Promises of a Faithful God, reads, The covenant between God and Abraham, often referred to as the Abrahamic covenant, occupies a central focus of the next several chapters of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12 begins with a vital prologue that sets the stage for the promises and ceremonies that would follow. They testify to the irrevocable nature of the promises of God. The passage begins with a task given to Abram. He was called to leave all that he had known, his home, most of his family, and his country of origin and travel to an unknown location that God would reveal in due time. While the passage begins with an act of obedience, it is clear that the covenant is based on the promises of God. Seven promises follow in rapid succession. 1. God promised to make Abram into a great nation, a pledge it would find fulfillment in the birth of the Hebrew nation. 2. God promised to bless Abram, his family, and the nation that would emerge from his loving care and continued provision. 3. Abram, later renamed Abraham, would be given a name that would live on long after his earthly life concluded. 4. The nation would be a blessing to other nations as they modeled conformity to God's law and demonstrated proper worship of the awe-inspiring God. 5. God would bless those who blessed the nation. 6. God would stand in judgment against those who oppressed his people. 7. All people would be blessed through Abram and the generations that followed him. These grand and glorious promises were rooted in the nature and character of God. In spite of the people's unbelief, rebellion, idolatry, and spiritual adultery, God remained faithful to His promises because the covenant was based on grace and not on law. Paul writes that God gave Abraham these promises long before the law was given on Mount Sinai, as found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 16-17. through 17. As one born in the line of Abraham, Jesus was a means by which these promises could be fulfilled. All those in Christ— born again by the grace of God, are children of Abraham and recipients of the promises of God that were fulfilled in Jesus. Paul testified to this reality when he claimed that all those who respond in faith to the good news of Jesus are heirs of the promises given to Abraham, as found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. A third resource I want to share with you is from a study I completed with a women's ministry in this area years ago called Patriarchs by Beth Moore. It reads, 
Our study hinges on Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. I'd like you to familiarize yourself so thoroughly with God's promises to Abram that you could recall the details at any time. Why should we be interested in God's promises to Abram? Because in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, it's paraphrased to say, All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So let's go ahead and get familiar with the specific promises. Listen for every time God makes an I will promise. Notice also God's concluding promise, the result of his I will actions. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed throughout you. We've already stumbled onto one of the most vital points and paramount applications we can draw from God's promises to Abram. God's purpose in blessing one is to bless many. I will bless you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. If God blesses us, we don't have to ponder where the blessing has further purpose. We are blessed to bless. Blessed with spiritual gifts? Bless with them. Blessed with intelligence and skills? Bless with them. Blessed with finances? Bless with them. You and I have been blessed. Nothing mystifies me more than why God has chosen to bless a former pit dweller like me. Others tell me they feel the same. Imagine being Abram, however. One man blessed among all the peoples on earth. Why Abram? I ask you again, why Abram? Genesis chapter 12 verse 4 suggests a marvelous initial answer. So Abram left. Perhaps one answer is simply, because he'd go. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 impresses me even more. Where did Abram think he was going? Well, the answer is he didn't know. He went by faith. We'll find that Abram was deeply flawed, just as we are. But we'll also find that faith and obedience went a long way. Literally. Some scholars are divided on the actual location of Abram's ancient Ur. Some place it in Upper Mesopotamia, but most scholars still maintain the identification of Ur with a Lower Mesopotamian site. The Lower site, 220 miles from modern Baghdad in southern Iraq, has ample biblical support, so we'll adopt the same view. How far can a little faith and obedience take us? Abram may well have traveled a thousand miles on his walk with God. Genesis chapter 11 verse 31 and chapter 12 verse 5 could lead us to believe Abram's call came in Haran, but Acts 7 Verses 2 through 4 clarifies the matter. What was the sequence of travels? The answer? He left the land of the Chaldeans, lived in Haran until his father died, then left to go to the land God sent him to. Let's lean into Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 a little bit more as well. Leave and go. God is never aimless. When he tells us to leave our lives of sin, he wants us to proceed to lives of victory. When he tells us to leave one place as he told Abram, he has another place for us to go. God may not reveal the destination for a while, but we can rest assured we're never called out without being called to. All God told Abram was his ultimate destination was that he would show it to him. In other words, the only way you're going to find it is to walk with me. When we get close, I'll show it to you. And he did. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Join me on a journey leading us far away from our errs. What is err to us? Let's adopt the name of Abram's former home as an acronym for usual routine. God calls us to leave our familiar spiritual countryside, our ruts, our comfort zone, and every hint of mediocrity, and go to a place he will show us. Let's not settle for Haran. Let's go the distance. Wow, such a beautiful reminder. God promised Abram, and his promises are true. Amen and amen. 
Now I'm moving on. I want to give a heads up to you that I plan to read chapters 13 and 14 together as they both provide insight into Abraham plus his nephew Lot's relationship and storyline. Genesis chapter 13 in the NLT begins. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This is the same place where Abram had built the altar and where he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of land you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron, settling near the oak grove belonging to Memri. There he built another altar to the Lord. Genesis chapter 14 About this time war broke out in the region. King Eraphel of Babylonia, King Arioch of Elazar, King Kedorlamor of Elam, and King Tidal of Goyim fought against King Berda of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adamah, King Shenabar of Zoimian, and King of Bela, also called Zoar. The second group of kings joined forces in Sidim Valley, that is, the Valley of the Dead Sea. For twelve years they had been subject to King Kedilomor, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled against him. One year later, Kedorlamor and his allies arrived and defeated the Rephites at Ashtra, Karnaim, the Zuzites at Ham, the Amites at Shaveh, Kirathiam, and the Hortites at Mount Seir, as far as El Paran at the edge of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mispat, now called Kadesh, and conquered all the territory of the Malachites, and also the Amorites living in Hazan Tamar. Then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zoban, and Bela, also called Zoar, prepared for battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Kedlamar of Elam, King Tidal of Goyim, King Amraphel of Babylonia, and King Ariach of Elisar, four kings against five. As it happened, the Valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits, and as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. 
Mamre and his relatives Eshol and Aner were Abram's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Kazlamor's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Kedlamor's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hoboth, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. So Abram returned from his victory over Kaldamar and his allies. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavish, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the son of Salem, and the priest of the God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from which belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Aner, Eshol, and Mamre. Phew! First of all, can I just say that you have my sincerest apologies for probably butchering the pronunciation of a solid 99% of those names and cities we just read. Oh my goodness gracious. Before I begin taking a deep dive in these scriptures we just read together, I want to share some personality profiles about both Abram and Lot as found in my New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible. The profile on Abraham begins, We all know that there are consequences to any action we take. What we do can set into motion a series of events that may continue long after we're gone. Unfortunately, when we're making a decision, most of us think only in the immediate consequences. These are often misleading because they are short-lived. Abraham had a choice to make. His decision was between setting out with his family and belongings for parts unknown or staying right where he was. He had to decide between the security of what he already had and the uncertainty of traveling under God's direction. All he had to go on was God's promise to guide and bless him. Abram could hardly have been expected to visualize how much the future was resting on his decision of whether to go or stay, but his obedience affected the history of the world. His decision to follow God set into motion the development of the nation that God would eventually use as his own when he visited earth himself. When Jesus Christ came to earth, God's promise was fulfilled. Through Abraham, the entire world was blessed. You probably don't know the long-term effects of most decisions you make, but shouldn't the fact that there will be long-term results cause you to think carefully and seek God's guidance as you make choices and take action today? Lessons that we can learn from Abraham's life. God desires dependence, trust, and faith in Him, not faith in our ability to please Him. And God's plan from the beginning has been to make Himself known to all people. The profile on Lot begins, Some people drift through life. Their choices, when they can muster the will to choose, tend to follow the course of least resistance. Lot, Abram's nephew, was such a person. While still young, Lot lost his father. Although this must have been hard on him, he was not left without strong role models in his grandfather Terah and his uncle Abram, who raised him. Still, Lot did not develop their sense of purpose. Throughout his life, he was so caught up in the present moment that he seemed incapable of seeing the consequences of his actions. It's hard to imagine what his life would have been like without Abram's careful attention and God's intervention. By the time Lot drifted out of the picture, his life had taken an ugly turn. He had so blended into the sinful culture of his day that he did not want to leave it. His drifting finally took him in a very specific direction, destruction. 
Then his daughters committed incest with him. Lot, however, is called righteous in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Ruth, a descendant of Moab, was an ancestor of Jesus, even though Moab was born as a result of Lot's incestuous relationship with one of his daughters. Lot's story gives hope to us that God forgives and often brings about positive circumstances from evil. What is the direction of your life? Are you headed toward God or away from Him? If you're a drifter, the choice for God may seem difficult, but it is the one choice that puts all of the choices in a different light. What are the lessons from Lot's life? God wants us to do more than drift through life. He wants us to be an influence for Him. Well, friends, I hope those profiles give all of us a little bit of insight into both Abram and Lot's lives as we dig into the specifics of what we read in both chapters 13 and 14. Continuing on, the spoken gospel speaks to what we see happening in both of those chapters by saying, God is in control. God is faithful. These two truths jump off the page in all three stories in this passage. In the first story, Abram and his nephew Lot are in a predicament. Their large herds of livestock cannot live in the same area. So Abram gives up his right to choose and lets Lot pick. Without Abram even picking, God secures for him the land he promised. In the second story, Lot's land is attacked by an allied group of several rival kingdoms, and as a result, his family and goods are plundered. But Abram, with just 318 men, manages to drive out the attackers and rescue Lot, his family, and all of his possessions. How was Abram able to do this? We learn that it was God who gave him the victory. In the final story, Abram is blessed by a man named Achilzedek, who is both a king and a priest. In response, Abram gives a tenth of everything he has to him. Interrupting this scene, the king of Sodom tries to bless Abram by giving him the plunder from the battle. Abram refuses, saying he does not want to give anyone the ability to say, I made Abram rich. But even though Abram refused physical goods, gave a tenth of what he did have, God still blessed him. God is in control. God is faithful. So in speaking of Melchizedek, I'm going to once again share with all of you another personality profile I found in my New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible. But before I do, I want to strongly encourage you to be sure to go to today's show notes for two resources I found that outline in depth the connections of Melchizedek to Jesus and the gospel. So, so good. Definitely worth researching further as I was intrigued myself into digging deep when I noticed several resources refer to Melchizedek as a type of Christ. I hope you are intrigued enough to lean in for yourself as well. Time well spent for sure. Okay, so now on to that personality profile I mentioned. It begins. Do you like a good mystery? History is full of them. They usually involve people. One of the most mysterious people in the Bible is the king of peace, Melchizedek. He appeared one day in the life of Abraham, then called Abram, and was never heard from again. What happened that day, however, was to be remembered throughout history and eventually became the subject of a New Testament letter called Hebrews. This meeting between Abram and Melchizedek was most unusual. Although the two men were strangers and foreigners to each other, they shared a most important characteristic, both worshipped and served the one God who made heaven and earth. This was a great moment of triumph for Abram. He had just defeated an army and regained the freedom of a large group of captives. If there was any doubt in his mind about whose victory it was, Melchizedek set the record straight by reminding Abram, And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Abram recognized that this man worshipped the same God he did. Melchizedek was one of a small group of God-honoring people throughout the Old Testament who came in contact with the Jews, or the Israelites, but were not Jews themselves. This indicates that the requirement to be a follower of God is not genetic, but is based on faithfully obeying His teachings and recognizing His greatness. Do you let God speak to you through other people? 
In evaluating others, do you consider God's impact on their lives? Are you aware of the similarities between yourself and others who worship God, even if their form of worship is quite different from yours? Do you know the God of the Bible well enough to know if you truly worship Him? Allow Melchizedek, Abraham, David, and Jesus, along with many other persons in the Bible, to show you this great God, creator of heaven and earth. He wants you to know how much He loves you. He wants you to know Him personally. What life lessons did we learn from Melchizedek? Live for God and you're likely to be at the right place at the right time. Examine your heart. To whom or what is your greatest loyalty? If you can honestly answer God, you are living for Him. Okay, let's continue on in our reading with chapter 15, which says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own, who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations of your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants, all the way from the border of the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Friends, I'm not even sure what to say about all that. Smoking fire pots, flaming torch, halves of carcasses? Oh my. How about we just lean into the perspectives offered in a few resources I came across in my research to help us sort all this out. The first one is She Reads Truth's Genesis study section about the Abrahamic covenant, which says, In his book Beyond Words, Frederick Buchner says this, Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Buckner is echoing Christ's words in the Gospel of John where we're told to take heart because Christ has overcome the world. John chapter 16, verse 33. There are many times when personal loss makes it feel as if God has removed His provision, and sometimes it takes everything in me not to project the actions of others onto my faithful Father, who has proven His provision in the past. There's an eerie line in this passage after God reveals that Abram's offspring will be as countless as the stars. It describes how after the sunset, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. 
After Abram sacrificed the animals that God requested, this strange apparition appeared. However, God's presence was often associated with fiery images in the Old Testament, and according to the Faith Life Study Bible, that night the passage of fire confirmed the covenant. There's a reason God often tells His followers not to be afraid. Famine and battles, new land ownership and elderly maternity, flaming objects that move on their own, these are not things you see every day, but these are the sorts of plot twists God delights in using to develop trust in His people and further His kingdom. Still, he understood how alarming all of this must have been for Abram and consoled him by saying, Do not be afraid. I am your shield. In verse 1. Do not be afraid, friends. God is our shield. Before taking matters into our own hands, let's believe that God is for us, not against us. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and wait for his redemptive movement in our lives, as discussed in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Secondly, the spoken gospel shares, God has sworn that he would make Abram's descendants so numerous that they could not be counted. They would be a great nation and would be a blessing to the whole world. The only problem is Abram is very old, has no children, and his wife is barren. God knew Abram was doubting his promises, so he visits Abram in a vision where he doubles down on his promise. God enters into a traditional covenant ceremony with Abram. In this ceremony, animals will be sacrificed and cut in two. Then the people making the covenant would walk in between the halves of each animal as a physical symbol which communicated, If I break this promise, let what was done to these animals be done to me. But here, God alone passes through the animals. By doing so, he was saying that he alone would keep the promise, and if he didn't, he would bear the punishment. And the last resource I want to share with you about Genesis chapter 15 is 40 Days Through the Bible, The Answers to Your Deepest Longings by Lisa Turkhurst and the Proverbs 31 Ministries team. The excerpt begins, God met with Abram at a time when he was doubting God's promises. God saw Abram, came to him, and spoke great encouragement. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. In his old age, Abram focused on the physical, what his eyes could see and what his mind could comprehend. God promised to make him a great nation, but he had no children. God graciously reassured Abram that a son was coming. He told Abram to look to the heavens and count the stars, and said, So shall your offspring be. Without any changes of circumstances, Scripture says Abram believed the Lord. He believed God would do what he said he would do. That is faith. And God responded to Abram's faith by crediting righteousness, right standing with God, as his reward. As with Noah, righteousness or right standing with God did not mean Abram was a sinless person. He simply trusted the Lord. The excerpt goes on to say, God's ways have not changed over these thousands of years. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Trusting God at His word, trusting His promises, will lead to righteousness. The key is faith. Abram was renamed Abraham by God because Abram's faith to believe that God would make him the father of many nations. Faith doesn't mean we never doubt or have questions. In fact, Abraham immediately began asking God how the things he spoke of were possible, and later even laughed at other things God promised in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. God's promises are eternal and unchangeable. They will not fail because God cannot fail. So we can believe the enemy or we can believe God. We can succumb to the lies or stand on truth. In the garden, Adam and Eve chose to believe the lies of the enemy. Noah and Abram, or Abraham, on the other hand, chose to believe the truths of God. Though let us not forget, Noah and Abram were not perfect. The times Noah and Abraham failed to follow God and misplaced their longings, God sent harsh consequences as a result. It seems clear from what we've studied Choosing lies and self-satisfaction leads to curses and consequences. 
Choosing truth and humility leads to blessings and fulfillment. Why? Because when we choose to believe lies, we fall into the hands of the enemy. We hear the devil's voice instead of God's, so he determines who we are, our path, even our destiny. When we trust ourselves or others over God, we risk moving so far from God that we forget His heart, His goodness, His love. We forget God's commands are good, His purposes are good, He is good. Trusting in and obeying God's Word is where we find our true and lasting significance, satisfaction, and security. Abraham lived this well. God had promised to make him into a great nation, yet Abraham found himself without children. How could God's promise come to fruition with no heirs? Was God truly trustworthy? Abraham cried out to God in discouragement. God came to Abraham and graciously reassured him a son was coming. He reminded Abraham of his promises. Scripture says Abraham believed the Lord without any visible proof, without Sarah being pregnant. Abraham took God at his word. He believed God would do what he said he would do. This, my friend, is the essence of faith. God's ways have not changed. God's promises and purposes are eternal and unchangeable. They will not fail because God cannot fail. When the lies of the enemy, fear, doubt, anxiety, unbelief, discouragement rush in, we must immediately take those thoughts captive. Captive to the truth of God's word, the truth of who we are as children of the one true God. Okay, friends, I feel it is really important for us to take a few moments to develop the idea of a covenant with God a bit more. We already discussed the Noahic covenant in episodes 9 and 10. Please feel free to go back and take a listen to those should you want to review or listen for the first time even. In returning to the Abrahamic covenant, though, listen to these thoughts from If Equip and Right Now Media's God's Unbreakable Promises study. The first excerpt references God's promises throughout Scripture, and the second excerpt leans in to the covenant with Abraham. The first excerpt, titled God is the Same Then as He is Now, begins, We live our lives at lightning speed, and how can we not? We have families to raise, careers to develop, goals to reach, things to learn, relationships to grow, Instagram accounts to update, dreams to actualize. In the midst of all the demands of 21st century life, it can be hard to connect to ancient notions of promise and obligation, duty and responsibility. We might find ourselves asking why should a set of ancient covenants matter now? What do these contractual agreements God made with other people have to do with our lives today? There's no denying it. We lead very different lives from Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. But even with a myriad of ways our lives are different, there's at least one way our lives are the same. Just as every one of them felt the consequences of broken relationship with God all those centuries ago, we continue to feel the strain that comes with living in a world that's not as it should be. Adam and Eve experienced life in a world where the earth had been cursed and where shame, pain, dissent, and strife were felt. All of this after having tasted the unhindered goodness of creation and perfect fellowship with God. Noah felt the excruciating pain that comes with witnessing his world being ravaged by flood and experiencing the loss of life. He had to start over with only his family by his side. Abraham knew firsthand the heartbreak of childlessness. Moses was all too familiar with the feelings of incompetence. He knew imposter syndrome long before it had a name. David lived with the pain of broken family relationships and Jesus. Jesus knew the worst pain of all as he hung on a tree, betrayed by his friends, carrying the weight of all the sins of the world. So why should a set of ancient covenants matter to us now? Because just like these people spent their lives waiting for God to fulfill His promises of redemption, we also find ourselves waiting. No, we're not waiting for God to give us a descendant or make us a great nation like Abraham did, but we're waiting for something. Maybe we're waiting for healing in our bodies, our hearts, our minds, 
Maybe we're waiting for restoration in our relationships. Or maybe we're waiting for companionship in the form of a child, a spouse, a friend. In our waiting, we can look to God's covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David and find hope. Because like all the other covenants, the end of our waiting is wrapped up in the fulfillment of God's new covenant through Jesus. Why study the covenants? Because for those of us who follow Jesus, there is no covenant whose blessings we do not enjoy. As it turns out, our lives may not be that different after all. In moving on to the second excerpt from God's Unbreakable Promises study, titled God Gives You Purpose, it reads, God continues to show His faithfulness and love through the Abrahamic covenant. In this covenant, God makes promises to a man named Abram. Genesis 12 begins with God telling Abram to leave his country and the family he knows with the promise of making Abram a great nation. He promises to bless him and make Abram's name great. As we continue to read in Genesis chapters 12 through 17, we see the covenant get more detailed. God put before Abram's eyes the land he would receive. He told Abram of the son that would be born to him, and he told Abram that his descendants would be as numerous as the dust of the earth and the stars in the sky. In addition to words, God gave physical signs of his promises. He increased Abram's land and property. He also performed a ceremonial act, sealing the promise. As Abram was asking, how will all this happen? God responded with a physical sign of promise. In this ceremony, Abram was asked to bring animals and cut them in half and divide them. God then put Abram in a deep sleep. As Abram slept, God told him what would happen to him and his descendants and appeared physically as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch between the animal pieces. This ceremonial act was normative of that time for a promise between two parties. Each party would walk in between the sacrificed animal as a sign of their commitment to fulfill their responsibility in the agreement. Yet this act was unique. Only one party was committed to fulfill his responsibility in the agreement. Abram was asleep and God was the only one who walked through. This covenant is referred to as a unilateral covenant, which means that God was the only one required to keep the covenant. It did not matter what Abram did or did not do. God would keep his promises to Abram. The promises that God gives come with a purpose. These promises were given to Abram so that Abram would be a blessing. As God took the initiative to make this promise with Abram, Abram was to respond out of these promises and bless others. The language we find in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 might lead us to think other nations needed to bless Abram first, but this was not the case. Abram was to begin the blessing to others, not wait for others to bless him, and then receive a blessing. Just as God initiated this promise and covenant, Abram was to actively extend the gifts of the covenant to others. So as we are looking for ways to wrap up our study time together today, let's consider. Genesis chapters 1-11 through tells the account of God and the world by telling of creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah's Ark, and the Tower of Babel. In chapter 12, the narrative shifts from focusing on God and the world to focusing on God and his relationship with one chosen man, Abraham, and his family. God makes a covenant with Abraham to make him a great nation, make his children numerous, give his descendants a promised land, otherwise known as Canaan, and bless all the nations of the world through his offspring. Promises found in Genesis chapters 12, 15, and even 17, which is to come in our next OOBT episode. The keeping of this covenant is a theme throughout both the Old and New Testaments, as referenced in the following scriptures. Remember how we have already learned that cross-references are important to dig into for further understanding when studying. So let's do that now, shall we? And how about we go ahead and throw in some New Living Translation Life Application Study Notes for these scriptures to give us some framework plus personal life application as well. Agreed? Great! (laughs) 
Let's begin with Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, which reads, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. The study note for Joshua 21, 43 through 45 says, God proved faithful in fulfilling every promise he had given to Israel. The fulfillment of some promises took several years, but not a single one of the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. God's promises will be fulfilled according to His timetable, not ours, but we know that His word is sure. The more we learn of these promises God has fulfilled and continues to fulfill, the easier it is to hope for those yet to come. Sometimes we become impatient, wanting God to act in a certain way now. Instead, we should faithfully do what He wants us to do and trust Him for the future. What a valuable reminder to us that God fulfilling the purposes He made to Abraham and the family of Israel provides a solid footing to us as we wait on the Lord today. Not a single one was left unfulfilled. Not even one. Wow. Amazing, right? Moving on to Hebrews chapter 11, which is often called the Hall of Faith, verses 8 through 12 say, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confident, looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man, who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. The New Living Translation Life Application Bible Note for these verses confirms, Abraham's life was filled with faith. At God's command, he left home and went to another land, obeying without question. He believed the covenant that God made with him. Do not be surprised if God asks you to give up some secure, familiar surroundings in order to carry out his will. Oh my, so true that God often asks us to step out of our comfort zones. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25 says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who are trying to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever He promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, 
It wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in Him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right with God. Here's a couple study notes about these verses in Romans chapter 4. Let's begin with this one about verse 17, which reads, The promise or covenant God gave Abraham stated that Abraham would be the father of many nations and that the entire world would be blessed through him. This promise was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was from Abraham's line, and truly the whole world was blessed by him. Did you hear that, friends? How about I say that again? Jesus was from Abraham's line, and truly the whole world was blessed by him. Goodness gracious, no truer words have ever been spoken, am I right? Thank you, Jesus. Moving on, the study note for verse 21 reads, Abraham never doubted that God would fulfill his promise. Abraham's life was marked by mistakes, sins, and failures, as well as by wisdom and goodness, but he consistently trusted God. Not sure about you, but I found comfort in this statement. Abraham's life was marked by mistakes, sin, and failures, as well as by wisdom and goodness, but he consistently trusted God. May it be said of all our lives that even though mistakes, sins, and failures are evident, may our wisdom, goodness, and consistent trust in God be evident to all. Phew, please make it so, Lord Jesus. Now let's return back to that study note for verse 21 once again. Abraham's faith was strengthened by the obstacles he faced, and his life was an example of faith in action. If he had only looked at his own resources for subduing Canaan and founding a nation, he would have given up in despair. But Abraham looked to God, obeyed him, and waited for God to fulfill his word to him. What an example of faith. Actually, what an example of faith in action, right? So friends, did you find those cross-references of mentions of Abraham in both the Old Testament and New Testament of the Bible to be helpful in solidifying what we are already seeing in Genesis? I hope so. I also hope this serves as a reminder to all of us just how valuable those cross-references we see throughout the pages of our study Bibles truly are in comprehending what we are reading. So, so valuable for sure. One final thought I would like us to hold on to as we continue our studies together. The second part of the book of Genesis is a record of God accomplishing His purposes through Abraham. It is not the record of Abraham's walk with God. Can you see the difference of focus? The focus of Abraham's story and the Bible is God, always God. The same is true for our stories of faith too, my friends. Let us consider this as well. Abram, who we will later see, is renamed Abraham, walked by faith and not by sight. God told him to leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. How specific was God in the rest of his request? He only gave Abraham this much detail. Go to the land that I will show you. That is all God asked Abram to do, which, let's be honest, sounds like a pretty big ask to me. Gracious. But what is important for us to hear is that God promised to do the rest. Are we willing to follow God's direction for our lives with that little detail? That is most certainly a question for each one of us to take to God in prayer. Speaking of prayer, let us end our time together doing so. Father God, Help us to step out in faith and obedience to the things you call us to do, to step into the uncertainty with a certain trust and hope in you. Help us remember all that we have learned today in studying your covenant promises to Abraham. Thank you that you fulfilled all of them, ultimately through sending your son Jesus. Since as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Help us to consider how the promises you made to Abraham have already been fulfilled in our lives today as spiritual children of Abraham. That is a lot to take in, Father God. Help us to have eyes to see, 
Thank you that you are a promise keeper. Of that we can be certain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Up next, we will conclude in Abraham's developing story with God, which will eventually include the birth of his son Isaac. As we are preparing ourselves to enter into the study of those chapters, I would ask us to keep in mind this fact. What is only the flip of a few pages for us is actually a 25-year wait for Abraham and Sarah. God called Abraham at 75 years old. Abraham didn't become the father of Isaac until age 100, and Sarah was 90. I promise there will be more talk about having faith in the waiting seasons of life. How could there not be? Oh, friends. Even though we will share in Abraham and Sarah's joy and laughter at the birth of Isaac, I know we have all experienced just how difficult it is to hold on to our faith in the seasons of waiting, however short or long they may be. While we can and should acknowledge that seasons of waiting are preparation by God for the things to come in our lives, we can also fully acknowledge the fact that the long suffering of waiting seasons is often also heartbreaking on so very many levels. I know I certainly can't wait to take a deeper dive into how Abraham held on to his faith for 25 long years. How about you? With that in mind, please remember that this show releases every other Wednesday wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, though, could you do me a favor and share this episode with three or more people? And please go to your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review because that is the absolute best way to help others find out about this podcast. And remember, if you are curious about digging deeper into any of the things that we talked about today, be sure to check out the show notes by swiping up on your podcast app screen to see them below. But if you can't find them there, they're always available at mfaring.com in the show notes section of the podcast pages. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends.